When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another Friday edition of College Sports Now talking women's basketball. I'm Rob Joyce. She's Megan Gower of her hoop stats. And no guest this week, just talking straight ball for the next 45 minutes or so before a holiday weekend. It's President's Day on Monday, so hopefully you have the day off. Megan, uh, do you have a favorite president? I see he was a big uh, James K. Polk person. <laughs> I don't know that I have a favorite president, um, but not I do William, not have. Not Willie McKinley? <laughs> I don't even know another person that that would be. <laughs> wow. But I do not have the day off, which is, I think, the more unfortunate part of the situation. <laughs> I technically do. Uh, I don't know if daycare has the day off, so we should probably inquire. Um, anyways, most <laughs> of the country, about nine days left in the regular season in women's college basketball. More wild stuff from last night. We had a buzzer beater in the ACC. We had a surprise blowout in the ACC. Indiana just keeps picking up wins against ranked teams in the Big Ten. Um, so I guess we'll start in the ACC, Megan, where one of the games of the year, I thought, in, in college hoops last night, Notre Dame-Louisville in overtime, Olivia Miles, uh, the hero. Yeah, a crazy shot there at the end to, to get the win for Notre Dame. I think a needed win for Notre Dame, too. They've been struggling a little bit since Darren Mabry um, has been out for the season, and they get that big win over Louisville. So that's a, a good win for them, kind of trying to stay in that that hosting range for the top, uh, you know, seed lines for the tournament. I'm willing to overlook the fact that Miles took like five steps before she shot it. <laughs> I'm of the the belief that you know it's unfair, but if you do something cool, it's greater than whatever <laughs> illegal thing you did. So the fact that she hit an off off you know a fadeaway buzzer beater in overtime to win you know against Louisville. Uh, I'm willing to overlook the, the five steps she took. I was really encouraged, though, by Louisville. Buzzer yeah. beater away from what would have been their fourth straight win. You know, there was a time 
on what January 31st, they trailed at halftime to Syracuse and they were 14 and eight. And I kind of thought like Louisville won't miss the tournament, right? Cause you know, you look at their schedule, they still have to play Notre Dame twice. They had to play North Carolina. It's like, all right, if they lose to Syracuse, that's nine. If you know, at that point I didn't have faith that they'd beat the three ranked teams. So that's 12 ACC tournament. That's 13. And you know, suddenly, Oh, maybe they don't have a tournament case. That has since flipped. They beat Syracuse. They beat North Carolina. They came within a sniff of getting the Irish. So is, is this a Louisville team that you think is maybe turning a corner at the right time? Yeah, I think they've looked better as of late. I still don't think this team is like going to make that much noise when you get to the NCAA tournament. It has just been a down year for them. But at the same time, I think a team that's more competitive than they were November, December time frame. And kind of, there's a lot of these in this year's field, but a, one of those teams that's going to be a lower seed that's not necessarily the lower seed you want in your region right I mean they're on pace for probably what a six seed or a seven seed realistically you know I mean they can't play Notre Dame because same conference but if you're you know if you're Utah if you're LSU you know heck even if you're someone like Iowa like do you really want to see Louisville in the round of 32 probably not no (laughs) yeah exactly so a nice win for Notre Dame um, a nice win for Virginia Tech, who surprisingly, you know, not so much that they beat Duke on their home floor, but it was never a contest. 61-45 the final. And, you know, I think people forget that, you know, Duke made, made a surprise run. Notre Dame is back, so they're getting a lot of headlines. Virginia Tech just quietly lurking there in the ACC. Yeah, and I think they're a team, again, that's kind of coming on at the right time. They didn't quite have maybe the season that people expected, especially still like Ashley Wusu isn't a big part of what's going on for that team right now, but a team that's been able to get some good wins in the ACC as a late, they're kind of trending upwards in the last couple of weeks. They had that win over Florida State last weekend, now this one over Duke, and I think they're, they're moving up. A team that I honestly like wouldn't be shocked if like if they keep on this trajectory, we see them on the two line when we get to March. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about the ACC. If they have a lot of pretty good teams, um, I don't know if they have a Final Four-worthy team, but if someone could go make that run, it might be Virginia Tech. You know, Duke last night didn't have an answer for Elizabeth Kitley. They really flustered the Duke defense, which doesn't happen too often to the point where, you know, the first quarter, Georgia Amor is getting open layups, and she's not, you know, she's not an inside threat at all. Yeah. So they really flustered them at the beginning, and, I think we forget, you know, Olivia Miles does everything. And, you know, she stole a headline last night with her game winner. Haley Van Lith is, you know, one of the big names coming into the year. Elizabeth Kitley won ACC Player of the Year last year. And I think a lot of people forget that, that she's still there. She's not going anywhere. Yeah, exactly. A lot of these ACC teams don't necessarily have the inside presence to match her. And I think that's what's allowed Virginia Tech to be successful, especially over the last couple of weeks. So that'll be an interesting Going into the ACC tournament, if I think they're going to make a deep run there, she's going to be a big part of that as well. And Ashley Owusu, you, you mentioned her. Obviously, you know, I, I don't think she's 100% or from her injury. I don't know what's going on there. She played four minutes last night. She hasn't played more than eight minutes in any of the last four games, and she hasn't scored in any of those games. It's just, it's wild that Virginia Tech is doing this when they brought in a three-time All-Big Ten performer and, you know, she's kind of an afterthought. And it's still remarkable that Kenny Brooks still able to get the Hokies 
Eleventh, uh, ranked eleventh, they'll probably climb after you know a, a comfortable. Frankly, wasn't even a sixteen-point victory over Duke. It felt like a lot bigger than that. And pull up the ACC standings. They're still a mess. Duke and Notre Dame <laughs> still tied atop. Virginia Tech lurking the game back. And then you have three teams: Louisville, Florida State, and Miami are uh, two games back. So Greensboro, it's going to be real fun uh, in a couple weeks. Yeah, exactly. The Worcester situation is is so interesting because for them to be this successful, I, they're a team I picked them to win the ACC at the beginning of the season, and a lot of that hinged on the fact that Ashley was the, would be such a big part of this team, so that she's not, and they're still there. I think if somehow she was able to get kind of in the mix in these coming weeks, that could be a really interesting team in NCAA tournament too. Right, even if they manage to get her, you know, eight, nine, ten points a game as opposed to zero. That just brings the team to a different level for someone who, you know, she, if, if she was an all American this year, no one would have been surprised. I think she was an honorable exactly. mention last year, but yeah. So just kind of a weird situation, but Virginia tech still keeps on winning. So does Indiana two more wins over ranked teams this week in Ohio state who struggles continue. And then last night beat Michigan on Thursday. And, you know, I, I, I've talked a lot about Indiana. I'm not an Indiana Homer. I just really, really like the Hoosiers and I still one of these days, they're going to get respect, and maybe it comes when game day goes to Carver Hawkeye next week, and they they hand the Hawkeyes that L, um, which we'll get to that next week. But this Indiana team, second best team in the country. I don't think there's any doubt. Yeah, I agree. I, they've looked really, really good. They've continued to impress me in this stretch of Big Ten play. I thought if they were for real or not, we were going to find out in this couple of weeks because they had Iowa twice. They had Ohio State. They had Michigan, and they're just kind of breezing through. I think they've won all of those games by double figures at this point. So just making it look pretty easy to come through this really tough stretch of schedule, and yeah, no question in my mind that they're the second best team in the country. And I thought, think if we could get like that in South Carolina as a national championship game, it could be a very interesting one. Yeah, absolutely. So let's see. Let's pull up their schedule. They beat Iowa by nine. As they pulled away in the fourth quarter, that was a close game though for you know, three and a half quarters. Mm-hmm. They beat Michigan in Ann Arbor last month by nine, and they beat Illinois by eleven in Champaign. They beat Maryland by seven, so they've had some close games. But you're right, especially recently, you know, blew out Ohio State on Monday. That game was never close. They pulled away in the second quarter from Michigan. The Wolverines got within three, and then they had like a 10, 12 nothing run later, and that was it. I want to ask you, Mackenzie Holmes? I think she is a slam dunk national player of the year candidate. I've read an awful lot. You know, we we can talk about LSU, South Carolina, if you want from Sunday, but it seems, you know, Angel Reese didn't get a double double. Everyone just ignoring her now, which I think is a little crazy after one. Yes. Marquee game. But anyway, so it seems everyone's saying it's Aaliyah Boston or Caitlin Clark as national player of the year. Not that either one wouldn't be deserving. I just don't get why it's a two person race. I agree. I think it's, in my mind, I still think Angel Reese should be part of the conversation. I think it's a little bit too much of a reaction to a South Carolina game where Olia Boston was guarding her in the second half because, like, who in the country is doing that much against Olia Boston with her guarding them? Um, But in my mind, it's a five-player race, and I think the two names that you're not hearing enough in that conversation are Mackenzie Holmes, like you said, and then also Maddie Segrist at Villanova has just, like, been... Her numbers have been insane the last few weeks as well. And I think those players deserve to be a part of that conversation too. So, yeah, I I think we're seeing a lot of the mainstream media. It's a, the two-player race with Boston and Clark. And I think either of those players winning it would 
make sense, but I think it should be more of that, still that five-player conversation. And I also think it's one of those years where I don't think it's so cut and dry. Like, I think we're probably going to see, it might just be Clark and Boston, but I think we're going to see multiple players win different awards. Forgive my ignorance. All-American team, is it still, does it have to be two guards and three forwards? Yeah. Lame. I'm calling Maddie Seeger's uh, guard in this situation because I think, like, it should be set. It should be. The five best players are Caitlin Clark, Maddie Segrist, Angel Reese, Mackenzie Holmes, and Aaliyah Boston. Whatever order you have them in, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Those are the five best players in the country this year. Those should be the first team All-Americans. But with Holmes in particular, you know, I it makes a little more sense now why I'm reading what I'm reading. Based, you know, I I read multiple things this week where she's not even a first team All-American. You know, she's averaging 22 and a half points on nearly 70% shooting for the 24 and one second ranked team in the country. In 10 games against top 25 teams, the average has gone up points-wise on over 60% shooting. You know, if Aaliyah Boston or Cameron Brink or some of these quote-unquote more popular names were putting up these numbers, like we wouldn't be talking about are they a, you know, first-team All-American. We'd be shutting down the player of the year race, and we'd be asking where in the all-time annals of women's college basketball, college basketball history, does this season rank? Because, I mean, I, I looked this up yesterday. You know, think of all the great forwards in the history of women's basketball. Lisa Leslie, Tina Thompson never shot 60% from the field in a year. Cheryl Miller did it once. Rebecca Lobo, Carol Walters, Tina Charles, all national players of the year at UConn. They never did this. Brittany Griner never did this. Simone Augustus never shot above 56%. Sylvia Fowles never scored more than 17 points again uh, a game. Asia Wilson was never that efficient offensively. Like, I, you know, those are the best of the best, and, and Mackenzie Holmes statistically is as good or better than them this year at all. Not not saying that, you know, she's as good as them. You know, these are all Hall of Fame mm-hmm. players. But I think, you know, I think you get my point here. Yeah, no, the season that she's strung together is so impressive. And then especially when you take the fact that Indiana didn't have Grace Berger for so long there, and the only game they dropped is that one Michigan State game, and the reason they were so successful without Berger was pretty much entirely Mackenzie Holmes. She, I mean, the rest of their team is good too, but she carried them through that stretch. So, I, you know, I hope people – I'm not saying Holmes should win it or will win it. Right. I just want her to be in the conversation. While we're talking about it, the Aaliyah Boston one fascinates me. She's she's the best player in the country. I don't think anyone mm-hmm. is questioning that. She's going to be the number one overall pick to what, the Fever? Yeah. Through two, three days after the Final Four. No one's questioning that. It's, it's the fascinating discussion of where do you draw the line of, well, all right, she's clearly the best player on the best team, but the stats aren't there because they don't really need her. To, you know, they don't need her to put up 22 and 12 every game. So, you know, where do you draw that line of she's averaging like 12 and 10, which is really good. Mm-hmm. Is that player of the year worthy? But then it sounds silly to say is Aaliyah Boston player of the year worthy? Yeah, I think it's it comes down to how you feel like the national player of the year award should be given out. Is it the best player in the country or is it the player that has like the most impressive season? And I think history would tell us it's usually the player that has the most impressive season. If you look back to, I don't think it's like 2019 season that Megan Gustafson out of Iowa won most of those awards. And like, I don't think she was the best player in the country, but statistically, absolutely. She had one of the most, most impressive seasons in the country. Um, and I think that's usually what we see valued, which I think is maybe why Olia Boston won't actually win it, even though she definitely deserves to be a part of the conversation. 
And I think that's maybe why you're starting. I feel like we're even starting to say people say it's almost like a done deal that it's Clark. And that's a little crazy to me, but I think that's why you're starting to see that. Yeah, I mean, Clark, I mean, she has every number. She's, what, second in the nation in scoring to Maddie Segris, And now she just overtook Nika Mule this week for first in assists. So, I mean, obviously the numbers are there for Clark. And, you know, if you took Boston off South Carolina, they'd still be really good. If you took Clark off of Iowa, they, I don't want to overreact, but I mean, they're not a top 20 team. They might not be a top 25 team if if you took Caitlin Clark off of it. So, interesting discussion. Voting ends, I think, at the end of conference tournament week so they have a couple more weeks to make their case and then obviously the dance comes after that um moving on anything else from the midweek you want to talk do you have any thoughts on south carolina lsu you know you're, you're an lsu hater so you know <laughs> t- t- take your flowers after sunday in a game where you know i thought credit to them when it's 18 to 2 in columbia yeah. like the game's over and they you know they made it interesting for I don't know, part of the third quarter yeah, I agree. When it went 18 and 2, I was like, oh, this might be worse than I expected it was going to be because I did think South Carolina would kind of run away with it. But I was like, I also didn't expect it to be, you know, not even a contest at any point. But yeah, they made it interesting in the second quarter, in a little bit of the third. A lot of credit for that is due to Alexis Morris, who I thought had a fantastic game for LSU, but the rest of their team just really struggled. And I think, I mean, part of that, right, is how good South Carolina is, but I think especially that like 18-2 start. LSU just didn't really look ready for the moment, which I think is fair when you haven't played anyone all season. So yeah, like to go from playing no one in the top 25 to playing South Carolina, that's a big adjustment. And maybe this game helps them be a little bit more ready for that moment in the SEC tournament and in the NCAA tournament. But I'm not shocked by the result. I kind of thought that South Carolina would would run away with it. I don't know that it was exactly the, the game of the season that it got made out to be. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think many people expected 18 to 2. I thought if anything, you know, the once LSU kind of made their comeback and that's that's how I more thought the game would go would be even for a little bit. South Carolina I thought would control it and then eventually they'd pull away and that's once once LSU kind of punched back, that's kind of what happened where it looks like they just kind of ran out of steam and that's that's the thing with South Carolina. It's great if you can hang with them for 25 minutes or 30 minutes. By the time, you know, by the time it gets five minutes in the fourth quarter and they're just running out, you know, Camilla Cardozo in for Aaliyah Boston for three minutes and she goes out and, you know, scores three, you know, three layups off of putbacks. It's like, you know, just you can't you can't compete with that. Cardozo, I, I think, you know, we're talking to Leah Boston. I could argue Cardoso's been I don't want to say more important, but as important as Boston in some of these big games they've had recently. She's been great. Yeah, I think it's been a big X factor for them and her ability to come off the bench and really score and dominate the glass. I think you saw it against UConn. I think without her, maybe they don't win that UConn game. Um, and then again with this this game against LSU, she's been huge. And I think that's going to be a big thing to watch for South Carolina going into the, the postseason. I think. Right. We have a ton. Yeah, we have a ton to talk about between now and April. But when you look to next season and South Carolina is probably going to replace five starters. Oh, there's going to be, you know, big drop off, blah, blah, blah. Then Cardoso, who was the ACC freshman of the year. She was an all conference first teamer, I think, at Q's two her one year. Right. So, you know, she's just going to slide in and all right. There's one piece solved. So South Carolina is going to keep rolling team. They almost lost to a couple weeks ago. UConn Huskies. 
got tested on Wednesday against Creighton and uh, Caroline Ducharme back and literally not a game too soon because they, I don't think UConn can get blown out per se, but fourth quarter wouldn't have been close against Creighton without her. Yeah, they don't win that game without Caroline Ducharme. And yeah, they're definitely glad to have her back. I think there's been so much attention on this UConn team on not having AC FUD that maybe Ducharme's absence has gotten lost in the shuffle of it all a little bit. But this is a player that, as a freshman, led UConn in scoring for quite some time last season when Paige Beckers was injured, when AC Fudd was injured in her freshman season. And I think you saw exactly what they've been missing from Ducharme in that game, especially in the fourth quarter. She, I mean, she's been back for, what, 30 minutes, and she put the team pretty much on her back to win that game down the stretch. And having that scoring option off the bench that they've been missing was desperately needed. Yeah, I mean, and she looked real rusty in the first three quarters. Mm-hmm. You know, she looked super winded when she came off. And, you know, all these things are understandable. She missed right. you know, the better part of a month and a half with with the concussion. But, you know, I like that she came in and her first offensive touch, she chucked up a three and, you know, it didn't go in. But, you know, the, the old cliche, she got that dog in her. You know, mm-hmm. last year she she single-handedly won a similar game against DePaul where th- yeah. that was more of a 40-minute effort. She scored, what, 30-something and had the game winner with like a second to go. You know, then kind of out of nowhere, she hits that corner three and then it kind of, you know, sets her off. And but I think with this UConn team, I think the forwards, I think they're just, they're gassed. You know, Ali yeah. Edwards, Dorka Juhas, they just look like they have nothing left. You know, the Marquette game, Ali Edwards, she's like, she's dropping rebounds and, you know, they missed a billion layups on Wednesday and they just look, you know, like it's finally starting to catch up to them. So to have that that extra option, because I, I can say the same thing about Lou Lopez Seneschal, where she looked tired for a while. Her numbers were great, and then you know she started to slump a little bit from three, and when that happens, who else were they going to? You know, Nika Mule isn't isn't a natural scorer. So now even just having, aside from a, a pair of legs who can play on the floor, having another offensive option, someone you can rely on, because as it stands right now, you know Ducharme will get more in the groove famous last words like this version of this UConn team right now I can't put in the final four because I can't I can't see them winning four games at some point playing like this where it's just game after game where they're you know they're, they're grinding it out yeah I think the thing working on UConn's favor is after the Big East tournament they have like almost two full weeks off before yeah the NCAA tournament and that will get them some real rest, which I think has not been something that's common in their schedule. They don't have any of those kind of like week off during conference play with the non-conference slate that they're playing during February. They have the Tennessee game, the South Carolina game. So yeah, they're definitely gassed. Having Deshaun back is huge in helping with that. I think you saw that immediately in the, the game against Creighton, the way that having her specifically back allows them to rotate a little bit more because if she can kind of play the two, the three, even if they want, um, and then they can put Griffin at the four. So they're able to kind of rotate everyone other than Nika Buell out with her back in the rotation, which is, I think, going to help in the long run here. Now, as for Creighton, now talk out of both sides of my mouth a little bit because I'm not putting, you know, teams like Ohio State and Iowa into the final four because mm-hmm. it's great that you can score a lot, but can you stop anyone? Creighton, kind of the opposite of that, where I don't think they're, you know, a great team, but when you can score like that, that's when you can go to the Sweet 16. That's when you can go to the Elite Eight. I don't think they can go to the final four, but 
you know, that, that fun factor of another team, they're going to be seated sixth, seventh, eighth. I don't want to see them in the second round or the sweet 16. Cause if they come out and you know, there's, they're going to chuck up 35 threes. If 12 of them go in great. Now I got to score. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we saw it last year with Creighton, and I thought this team looked really good at the start of the season. And then conference play, they fell off some. But it seems like they're starting to hit their groove a little bit. They hit those, like you said, the 12 threes against UConn. They're a team that could do something similar to they did last year. They were, um, they upset Iowa at home last year. They made it to the Elite Eight before losing to South Carolina. And if they can kind of stay hot like they are right now, I think they could do something like that once again we just got to fix the arena situation which you can say about like half the big east uh yeah blame where the men play anything else for midweek before we move on uh there wasn't a whole lot going on there's you know there are a couple of ranked on ranked matchups this weekend we'll talk about the weekend in a little while but anything else from the midweek uh stand out to you at all i mean everyone kind of took care of business yeah exactly nothing too exciting All right, so we talked about the best teams in the country. Let's talk about the teams who are sweating out the next two weeks. Bubble teams. So yesterday I spent a decent chunk of time, you know, looking at who could make the tournament, who won't make the tournament. And then I looked at, I have 31 locks for the tournament. And, you know, my criteria right now is if you lose out the rest of the way, are you still in? And 31 teams I have, if if they lose out, they're still in the tournament. Add in those, what, 24-ish small conference auto bids. You're going to get, you know, a couple of bid stealers in some of these smaller leagues where, you know, like a Florida Gulf Coast, if they lose, are they still in at-large? So you have anywhere from like 10 to 15 at-larges up for grabs. So I have a list of, I think it's like 20-ish teams. We'll just go conference by conference. Whether it's your opinion, whether, you know, you, you predict the future, I'll leave it up to you, Megan, but we'll start in the ACC. I have seven locks. So Duke, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, Louisville, Florida State, North Carolina, NC State. They're all in the tournament. Miami, are they in the tournament? Yes or no? I think, yeah. I The way they're in the mix for the top of the ACC right now, I would be surprised to see them as the tournament. Yes. Okay. Is Syracuse in the tournament? I don't think so. I, I don't think they've got enough good wins. Syracuse, they've... Again, they led Louisville at halftime. It was a tight game against FSU last night, and then Knowles closed on an 11-0 run, so Cusis had chances. Anyone else from the ACC, you know, the, I, I'd say no, but looking back at the last handful of years, 12, 13, even 14 losses at largest from power conferences, mostly the ACC have gotten in. So anyone else from the ACC you think has a shot, like a Wake Forest or someone like that? I don't think so. I think if it was maybe going to be anyone else, Virginia, but I I just don't see it happening this year. So congrats to the ACC. You're going to get eight teams into the tournament, the seven locks plus Miami. Big East, UConn, Creighton, Villanova, they're going. Marquette, are they in? I think so. I think that UConn win is probably enough as long as they don't kind of take a nosedive over the next two weeks. They, They should be in. Johnny's. They're going to be, I think, the team that's that's right on that bubble. So hard to say, but I I think yes, because I think we saw a little bit more respect for the Big East than we've seen in the past in that last reveal from the committee with Nova getting into the top 16. So I'm going to go with, yeah, that we might. Like, they're on the bubble, but I think they might get the bump. They're 19-6, and six, which is a really good record, but they're 54th in the net. They play Marquette tomorrow is that a must win 
I don't know that it's a must win. They already have a win over Marquette. Having two would be helpful, especially with that that win over UConn that Marquette has. But I still think they could get in without that win. What about Seton Hall? Again, right on the bubble. I think they're probably on the wrong side of it right now. But maybe a team that if they made a really good run in the Big East tournament or something could play their way in. All right. So Marquette. Congrats, you're in. I don't remember. Did you say St. John's is in? I already forgot. Yeah, I said it. All right, St. John's (laughs) is in. Congrats to the Red Storm. You're dancing. Big Ten, Indiana, Iowa, Maryland, Michigan, Ohio State. They're going. They're all ranked. Big Ten really, really deep at the top. Illinois, I contemplated making them a lock. I assume you're going to have them in. Yeah, I think they're in. I would be surprised to see them come out. Sean Green, that's one of the best turnarounds in college basketball this year. Nebraska, they're right there on on that bubble. Are they going to go? I think probably. I think we've seen once. I already have 12 losses, though. Maybe. I still think, I think we are going to see, if there's a conference that we're going to see the, like, 12, 13, 14 loss team in, I think it's going to be the Big Ten. I don't know, though. Like, they're going to lose probably at least one more, maybe two more. Maybe a no for them. I don't know. I think 14 losses is too many losses to be in the NCAA tournament. I agree. UCLA made it a couple years ago with 14. There was someone else in the ACC. Don't remember who. This was four or five years ago. I, I have to go back and look. But 14 losses, which I agree with you, shouldn't be tournament worthy. It is some years. Nebraska's 14 and 12. They're 49th in the net. Boy, picked a bad time to lose three straight. Oh, they lost to Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, that might do it. Yeah, that might do it. They and they play Iowa next on tomorrow. They play Iowa. 13 losses. Yeah. At yeah, Illinois. That's going to be tough. Northwestern, they will win that. So Nebraska needs to pull off an upset. Um, yeah, I, I don't think they're out. So Nebraska, uh, work to do. Purdue. Probably in. I like this Purdue team. I think they're a little better than people think they are. They have that Ohio State win. Only seven losses, so not 14. Um, they don't necessarily, outside of that Ohio State win, have the big wins, but I think they're in. So seven Big Ten teams you have in. Big 12, Texas, Oklahoma, Iowa State, Baylor. Baylor a lock? Baylor's probably a lock, right? Yeah, I would say they're a lock. I, All I right, so they're, they're in. Yeah, we'll put them in. Oklahoma State, are they going? Probably. They've been pretty good. Let's see, 44th in the net. Again, only seven losses. I think they're a good team. I think they're also a team that might be a little better than wherever they end up seeding. They've been better as of late. Texas Tech. I know they have that Texas win, but I don't know. I just, yeah, I just don't think so. 10 losses, 75th in the net. I, I just not, not a tournament resume. Another team where if you're going to have a three-game losing streak, don't make it in early to mid-February. It's, that's a yeah. bad time to have that. Last team out of the Big 12, West Virginia. Yeah, I'm going to go with a no on them as well. It's just the Big 12 hasn't really been impressive this year. And I think those teams without the big wins. And I think you're more likely to see a 12-loss team in like the Big 10 than a big-loss team in the Big 12 get in. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma's the highest-ranked team. They're 15th in the poll in the net. I imagine Texas is the highest. They're at least 11th in the net, but... Texas 11, Iowa State 13, and boy, you have to go down to Baylor at 29. So yeah, there's just there's not a whole lot of chances for high-end wins in the Big 12. So 
You have West Virginia out, so that is five Big 12 teams. Pac-12, I think it's fascinating. I have you know six locks, Arizona, Colorado, Stanford, UCLA, USC, and Utah. Congrats, you're all in. Here's the one that fascinates me the most, Oregon, who is yeah. free-falling with five straight losses. Yeah, this one is so interesting because they've got 11 losses now with those five straight losses. But they're still 21st in the net. And like I can't imagine the committee leaving a top twenty-five net team out of the tournament, but at the same time, they keep losing and they end up like thirtieth. I just, if you've lost that many straight, I I don't know how you get a spot in the tournament. So, I mean, none of these losses are awful. Stanford, yeah. eight-point loss at Stanford, lost to Colorado, lost to Utah. All of these are by ten points or fewer. Five points at USC, ten points at UCLA. Like all of these are. Yeah. ranked or borderline ranked teams but before that you know a three-point loss at Oregon State a loss a one-point loss to Washington State like Oregon's right there you got to win games at some point and they close with they're at the Washington schools this weekend Cougs tonight Washington on Sunday we saw what the Huskies did a few weeks ago against Stanford they host Arizona next week Arizona State has not won a Pac-12 game um, so congrats you won't you won't be on a, a nine-game losing streak going to Vegas but it's time to turn some of these into wins. Yeah, I think they've got to at least split the Washington trip. And I mean, if you beat Arizona, that would be a really big win. But yeah, they've got to they've got to pick up some wins in the stretch to stay in. But you I think, think they ultimately get in? Probably. Unless right. they, if they lose the rest of the stretch minus that Arizona State game, then probably not. But ultimately, yeah, I think they do. A team who's played their way onto the bubble, Washington. I I don't think so. That Stanford game, obviously a huge win, but I just don't think they have enough else in their resume. They're seventy third on the net, eleven losses too. I just I can't see it happening. And then lastly, out of the Pac twelve, Washington State again. Just mentioned they played the Ducks tonight. That's a big one for both teams. Yeah, I think they're probably in. Um, they've got some big ones, though. They've got the the, the Ducks tonight, uh, UCLA next week. I'm actually going to be out in L.A., so hoping to get to that one live. But, um, yeah, I think I think they're probably in. Have you been to Westwood before? I have. I've I saw UCLA play there once before. I don't know. I have a friend that lives out there, so I'm out there quite a bit. I was there for a softball tournament for um... – Shout out Hofstra Softball. They beat UCLA in 2012, um, but Pauley Pavilion was being renovated, so we were not allowed to go in. So anyway, so that is eight teams out of the Pac-12 that you say will make the tournament. SEC, again, they got a lot of bubble teams. So Alabama, LSU, Ole Miss, South Carolina, Tennessee. Uh, I have his locks. Arkansas just got blown away last night by Tennessee. What do you say about the Razorbacks? I think they're probably in. I think they've got enough decent wins. They're let's see, forty. They start. They're cl- they're dropping in the net though to that point where they they're a little bit more on the bubble. But I I still think they probably end up in Arkansas. Another team that's suddenly lost a lot of games. They've lost four, six of eight. The wins over Missouri and Auburn. They close with Georgia, Mississippi State, and Texas A&M. So three winnable games, uh, which leads us to Georgia. Mention them. Bull- Lady Bulldogs in. I think so. I think, actually, I would probably put them in over Arkansas right now if you're picking between the two. They've had some chances, though, at the big wins, and they haven't gotten them, and if they can maybe pick up a couple in this last stretch, 
or in the in the SEC tournament. I think the SEC tournament could be good for Georgia, like big for Georgia if they get a matchup with like an LSU and they can actually pull that win off or something. I think that's going to be really important for them. Yeah, they play Arkansas on Sunday. That's a big game for both teams. They they host Auburn and then get to close the year at uh, South Carolina on Senior Day when they're going to honor Aaliyah Boston and Zia Cook and Bree Beal and probably like nine other people. And congratulations to Georgia. Good luck with that. But still, they picked yeah. a nice time to win to win five out of six and probably seven of eight heading to Colonial Life. So, Georgia, you have in Florida, who just lost to South Carolina last night. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think so. I, yeah, they're ninety first in the net too. That's hard. They're already twelve losses. They're gonna pick up at least probably two more. So I'm gonna go with no. Mississippi State. <sighs> Without looking at the resume, I want to say yes. I think this Mississippi State game is better than people thought it was going to be. Yeah, I, I still would say that. I think I think they're in. Just lost at Missouri last night. Had won three straight before that, including that double overtime win last Monday over Tennessee. They have Alabama, Arkansas, and LSU. So chances to pick up some nice wins. Also chances to pick up what would be losses 9, 10, and 11. So they have a little wiggle room. So Mississippi State in. And then I don't think I put them on. Oh, I did. Missouri, who uh, just mentioned the Tigers. I don't think so. 10 losses already. Yeah, I'm just going to go with no on that. So that is eight locks out of the SEC. So let's see. 31 plus 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 11. So that's most of our field of, of 68. If we include the locks plus all of the auto bids, which leads maybe a couple of spots for some of these mid majors. You know, if, if Princeton Columbia is the number two team in the Ivy, but if, you know, we'll talk on some of these briefly, if Princeton doesn't win the Ivy league tournament, are they in? I think this is one of the interesting because I think Columbia might actually have the better case to be okay. an at large um so i think i think if princeton wins the ivy league tournament columbia will get in i think they have the better at large case there's 19 and 4 36 in the net princeton i think the at large case is tougher i don't think it's impossible but i think they have a harder case as an at large um so i think their best bet is i think if you're going to get two ivy league teams in it's probably princeton wins the tournament Columbia loses in that. I think it's also important that Columbia loses in the the tournament final to Princeton and not someone else. But I think that's your best case to get two Ivies. I don't think this team should really be on the bubble, but I'll ask about Bowling Green because I see a lot of people plus their 21 and threes and a lot of people are putting them there. Yeah, I would think that with three losses, you should, but 60 in the net is hard. So I, I think they're in. I think they're probably in. They're in regardless. Okay. UNLV yeah. is ranked for the first time in a long time. Run Rebels. Yeah. This team, like, I think it's ridiculous if they don't get in, if they lose that game and don't make it as the auto bid. Like, if we're going to put in teams that have 12, 13 losses out of the Big Ten, we should definitely be putting in teams that have three losses. That's what the committee will handle on the committee tends to lead towards the, the 13 loss co- power conference teams but i think it's would be a disgrace to leave unlv out and to put those teams in and on a similar note uh, i have a similar sentiment on florida gulf coast 23 and 3 but liberty's right there behind them in the a sun 
uh, Florida Gulf Coast would they be in if they were to lose? Sorry, I don't know the resume off the top of my head, so I'm Fair looking enough. at it. They're 47th in the net. They just dropped a couple of spots. They're 23-3 and three overall. I'm going to put them in because they're a fun team to watch. So I'll do that for you. They're in. There's our field of 68. Uh, we went through all the locks. We're going to be right, and the committee should just <laughs> listen to this and take your paycheck. So those are uh, so that's a little bubble watch. Uh, as again, there's only you know a week plus left in the regular season, and one of them's this weekend where we have a bunch of pretty nice games every day starting tonight. We have a couple tomorrow. We have some Sunday, and then we even have a couple of ranked matchups on Monday. So uh, we'll start with tonight. Any takeaways from Stanford USC that you're looking for? Trojans won the first time around against the Cardinal, and then you know Arizona and Utah. So a couple of Pac-12 games tonight. Yeah, for Stanford, I think it's just continuing what we saw last weekend against Arizona. And can they keep kind of keep rolling after a couple of those rough losses, the USC losses, and then the the Washington loss in particular? It feels like they're kind of getting back into the the flow of things. So this is a good. I mean, this weekend in general with the LA schools is a good test of that. Yeah, again, I'm not so worried about them tonight. It's you know, the problem with Stanford has been the, those second games of the weekend pairs. You know, Stanford looked more Stanford-liked against the Arizona schools, but, you know, I want to see them in game two of a weekend do it against, no offense to winless in the Pac-12 <laughs> Arizona State, but, you know, UCLA slightly better than Arizona State on Monday. So that's, that's the one I really want to see in Stanford, you know, come back. I expect them to rebound tonight against the Trojans. Then can, can they come back and do it again on, on Monday? Um, Arizona-Utah. Again, I think Utah's the real deal. Team not, you know, not as good as Indiana, but a team probably because they play in the Pac-12, so no one watches. Um, they're just kind of lurking there. They're, you know, highest ranking in school history. In Arizona, they're a fine five or a six seed in the tournament. Maybe they sneak into the Sweet 16, but otherwise, yeah, they're they're okay. Uh, Saturday, the one that I'm really looking forward to is UConn-Villanova. Wildcats had him on the ropes in Hartford a few weeks ago. Now the return trip in, in Philly. Yeah, I think this is the game of the weekend, possibly, which I feel like it's been a while since we've had to say that about a Big East game. So that's exciting. This is going to be a good one. I mean, like you said, close game in Hartford now on the road. Villanova has just been, I think, playing their best basketball of the season pretty clearly over the last few weeks. Maddie Seacrest, big part of that. We talked about her earlier in the, the national player of the year race but I mean she scored 50 last week and 39 in their game earlier this week she scored 20 points in every single game this season which the only player to do that in every game since like at least 2009 is Kelsey Plum um so that's obviously fun to watch in general anytime you get to see Maddie Seekers play and then for UConn they've been struggling a little bit so this is a big game I think it's a big game for UConn in terms of staying on the one line it's a big game for both UConn and Villanova in terms of the Big East title race it'd be tied in I think the number one spot if Villanova was to win it so it's a, a lot of implications for this game and then I think even for Nova even if they weren't to win it like keeping it close is big for them staying on that that four line as well that we saw them on last week right remember Villanova was kind of a surprise as one of those top 16 teams in the initial reveal and we'll know what the committee thinks because the next reveal is on Thursday so we'll know a lot more on Saturday and for the Huskies I think it's good that they came back and won on Wednesday because otherwise they might be staring down the barrel of what would be a second two-game losing streak uh, in a week so good thing that they came back 
think Nova is going to get him um, on, on Saturday. Only ranked game on Sunday, Arizona, Colorado. That doesn't, frankly, do a whole lot for me, if we're being honest. Um, and then Monday, you know, we mentioned Stanford, UCLA, but Michigan, Ohio State. Again, I don't think either either of these teams are Final Four good. They, I don't think they're Elite Eight good, but it's a rivalry matchup. And, you know, Michigan, I don't mean this in, in a bad way, but they're kind of boring when you look at their resume. <laughs> like, they beat all the teams that they're supposed to beat, and then they lose all the games that they're probably supposed to lose. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> like I didn't, you know, I didn't think they'd beat Indiana and they didn't beat Indiana. You know, they, they lost to Ohio state the first time when the Buckeyes were rolling. So you know, that, that equates to probably be a sweet 16 team and good for them. So that, that's on Monday. Anything else from this weekend that, uh, that makes you, uh, you know, get you excited before we wrap things up. Nope, I don't think so. I do want to know, I, I want the Buckeyes to beat someone of note in 2023. They beat the Wolverines on New Year's Eve. Since then, their best win is at home to Illinois or at Nebraska. So if anything, you know, we'll learn, is Ohio State in a complete, just absolute free fall? Or, you know, are they just, run? you know, they ran into the gauntlet of the Big Ten and, you know, maybe it's the start of a turnaround heading into, uh, where's the Big Ten tournament, Indy or Chicago? That's a good question. I think Indy. I want to say Indy, but I might be wrong. It was in the fine city of Minneapolis. Wow. That's, oh. I did not know that. All of America. Who knew? <laughs> Anyways, Megan, what do you have coming down the pike? Uh, you got a, you know, a lot of things in a lot of places. Promote your Substack, your Twitter, your podcast. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Everything coming on her hip stats. We've been a little break because my day job was crazy, but everything will be back next week. Um, Another seed reveal coming. We'll hopefully have something again in the Washington Post there. So that's a big one. And then, yeah, I've got my own Substack as well. View from the top talking about the, the title race and who's really factoring into that this year. Awesome. Follow Megan at Megan Gower, G-A-U-E-R. Everyone, have a great weekend ahead. Hopefully, unlike Megan, you have Monday off. Enjoy, and we'll talk to you next week.